Well, I'm, I'm, I can really echo Kurt tonight. I just want to thank you guys for being here and walking through this study with me as we talked last time about words mattering and talking about the difficulty of this subject and evaluating the things we say, knowing we're accountable to God for the things we say, knowing the things we say that we should say matter, the things we say that we shouldn't have said matter, and the things that we didn't say that we should have said matter before the Lord. We, when we see our words matter before God, that the things that come out of our mouth make a difference. And then we reflect upon what comes out of our mouth. We are in a needy place oftentimes. I don't know if you had any occurrences over the last month where you thought, said, or heard the words, words matter in some context. Maybe it was your spouse kindly reminding you in the nicest way with her or his words that your words matter. Maybe it was at work, you had an opportunity to share Christ and you didn't do it and you thought, man, words matter, I need to share. Maybe it was a friend that you needed to encourage and you encouraged them and you walked away from that thinking, God just used my words and it mattered. The way we talk to each other matters. I mean, if you question that, just go home tonight and ask one of your closest friends or ask your spouse, does what I say to you matter? And I'm sure you will hear an affirmative, yes, your words to me matter. The words we speak to one another and the words that we hear really matter. And you think about our words to God. If our words to our spouses, if our words to our friends, if our words to our family members matter significantly before the holiness of God, how much more so do our words to God matter. And we're just going to dig into that topic tonight, words to God. They, they really matter. And we're not going to be able to exhaust the entire uh, topic of words to God, prayer. Uh, but we're going to scratch the surface so that we might move in the right direction of really embracing the reality that our words to God matter significantly. See, we don't want to be a people who speak words to God who, who uh, w- w- the words are careless, they're flippant. We're asking things from God that we really shouldn't ask for. We're saying things to God that really reflect something about God that we really don't need or want to say. Careless words. We want to avoid words to God that are not honoring to God, that are not right before God. Let's look at a passage of Scripture that will help us think in this direction. Let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes, so if you turn to the middle of your Bible in Psalms, you go a couple books over, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, you're right there, and we're going to look at Ecclesiastes 5, the first seven verses. We're going to walk through these real quick, kind of establish the direction we're heading tonight as we concentrate on our words to God matter. Ecclesiastes 5. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know they are doing evil. All right. Verse 1 establishes this picture of worship. Verse 2 is going to establish the picture of prayer. And so in the concept of prayer and worship, when you approach God... That's what this is talking about. When you approach God, 
You should not come so that you do something that would then later be foolish in God's estimation. You should make sure you come to the Lord. And and the encouragement here is that you come listening, trying to understand God, trying to understand what He says, who He is, listening to who He is, what He says, so that you don't do something foolish, so that your response to God is worshipfully responding to who He is and what he says. And so you want to make sure when you come to God, you don't foolishly offer something to God without taking consideration of who he is. That's the point in verse 1. Don't come in here and offer something to God without considering who it is you're worshiping and who it is you're talking to. No, take a step back before you do anything and pay attention to who God is and then respond to who he is and what he says. The first step as we move towards speaking words to God is listening to God. Look at verse 2. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven, you are on the earth, therefore let your words be few. There is a significant difference between us and God. We are not Him and we should not approach Him like we are on the same level as He is. When you think about prayer and words to God, you should think about the motto, the saying that less is more. Because that's exactly what's being said here is that you should be careful about how you speak to God. And if you really want to be careful in reverence to who God is, then you should think about saying less than you plan on saying. Because God is not like you. God rules and reigns over all things and you are not his peer and you're not to approach him with words towards him that make you sound like him, like you're just like him. You should instead revere him and honor him and be very cautious with what you say. And you should err on the side of less is more. Look at the illustration in verse 3. It says, uh, for the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. Are y'all like this? Here I am, I'm, I'm thinking about getting ready for the San Juan trip, and I'm thinking about all my gear and packing up and getting everything together and thinking about what it's going to be like going, and I got a lot of stuff that's just really consuming my mind, and I want to make sure I've got this and I don't forget that. I can't imagine being there and not remembering this, and I, you know, making lists and making plans, and inevitably... Every time before that trip, I will start dreaming about fishing. Almost every time. I I don't know if you're like that when you get really busy or consumed with something, something's really bothering you or worrying you or you have a lot of stress or anxiety about something and you start dreaming about that something. I can't tell you the number of Saturday nights that I dream about standing up here and making a complete fool of myself, either by what I say or by what I'm wearing or not wearing. I mean, you have these weird dreams about being in situations. And that's what he's saying is that hard work, anxiety, pressure oftentimes creates dreams the same way that many words create folly. If if you want to cross over into foolishness in the way you pray to God, then you just approach God as if he's just like you and you just ramble on and on about whatever you want to ramble on about. You just let your mouth just flow. Guess what? The more words that come out of your mouth without respect to who God is, the more chances you are going to fall into folly when you speak to God. And here's the thing. Words to God matter. They matter greatly. Look at verse 4. 
When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying for it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin. Do not say in the presence of the messengers of God, that was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Verses 4 through 6 combined with what we've read already is essentially telling us that fewer words are better, but sincere words to God are best. So I don't want you to misunderstand when I'm talking about say fewer words to think that the Bible is telling us to pray less. The Bible is encouraging us to be cautious with how we speak to God. Because it's God to whom we're speaking. And the Bible here is encouraging us to recognize that few words are better because of the temptation to folly when we speak too much, too casually, without respect to who God is. And that sincere words are better. We should be very careful to say anything to God regarding our intentions, our plans that we do not fulfill. Our words need to be sincere and genuine. They need to be correct when they are words to God. They need to be measured against who God is. If we're going to have words to God, and we must, because they matter so much, then we need to practice some of these principles here of listening first before we speak. Maybe speaking a little bit less so that we respond a lot more to what we hear and making sure that what we do say is genuine in that reflects having seen and heard the Lord. Because genuineness in what we say to God matters tremendously. Look at verse 7. For in many dreams... And in many words, there is emptiness. Rather, fear God. The essence of your words to God are not in the words themselves. I'm not telling you that the words aren't important. I'm telling you the words matter. What I'm telling you is that verse 7 tells us, communicates to us, that the real driving factor in the words we speak to God, is the fear of God. You take these bookends of Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 7, you begin with this this encouragement, this exhortation to listen to God. And then you end with this exhortation to fear God. So think about it. You come into the presence of God to speak words to God, and the first thing you need to do is make sure you listen to God. You pay attention to what he says and who he is. You need to make sure that your words are a response to what you have heard. You need to make sure the response to what you've heard is genuine, reflecting who he is. You need to make sure that whatever you've said and whatever you then do reflects the attitude of the fear of God. You are worthy of honor. You are worthy of my obedience, my allegiance, my trust, my everything. And the bookends are to listen and to fear. Now think about how critical listening is to what we say. And how critical 
um, the fear of God is to what we say. See, words matter to God. And if we will be a people who approach God with listening ears and fearful hearts, we will find there will be great blessings, great works of God, great glory for the name of God on the earth in and through our words to God. I want you to consider the person of Elijah, the prophet Elijah. Remember the story how he and Ahab were at odds with with each other? Ahab didn't like Elijah that much, and I don't think Elijah liked Ahab that much. There were some problems going on in the land with a famine, and Elijah had something to do with that, and Ahab's trying to hunt down Elijah, and he can't find him anywhere. Then all of a sudden, one day, Elijah just shows up in front of Ahab, and Ahab says, you, you troubler of Israel. And Elijah says, hey, I'm not the one that's causing the trouble. It's your rebellion against God that's bringing all this on. And Ahab has been hunting for Elijah to kill him. Elijah shows up and stands right in front of him and issues a challenge. I want you to gather up all your priests of Baal, all the prophets of Baal. And I want you to gather them all up, and we're going to meet up on this mountain. And we're going to call on our God. You get all the prophets of Baal to call on the, the God Baal, and I, and I will call on the God of Israel. And so they do that. They gather up on that mountain. They have this big to-do out there. And uh, basically, Elijah directs the whole thing, tells everybody what to do. I want you guys to build an altar. I want you to put a sacrifice on it and call out to your God and, and ask your God to, to show that he has taken that sacrifice as worship to him and that he is a real God. So all these hundreds of priests and prophets of Baal begin to cry out to their gods and ask their gods to, to come and burn up the sacrifice and nothing happens and nothing happens and they keep crying and they cry out louder and they cut themselves and they show all kinds of display to try to get their gods' attentions and then Elijah kind of starts to make fun of them a little bit. And he says, maybe you guys need to scream a little louder, maybe they're they're kind of farther away and they can't hear so well. Maybe they're busy right now. They could be going to the bathroom right now. Maybe they're busy that way and you just need to scream a little bit. I mean, that's what Elijah's saying to them. He's poking fun at them. And finally he says, after everybody's making fun with him and kind of laughing about it, Elijah gets everybody's attention and says, I want everybody to come here and listen to me. And I want, I want you to hear what he says. This is in 1 Kings 18. Verse 36 and 37. So Elijah said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me. O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. And then fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. You know what I love about that story? 
is when Elijah prays, he doesn't say a whole lot. But every word that he says is in response to what God said to him. And when Elijah prays, answer me, God sends fire from heaven. Now imagine that. Fire comes down on heaven, consumes everything that's in its path. The sacrifice, the altar, the water, everything, gone. Because Elijah asked. Now wouldn't you say at that moment that Elijah's probably sitting there going, well, that was a lot more than I bargained for. Wow. Don't you know he had to go home that night and just think, that was amazing. I mean, I knew what you told me. But when I asked you, and you did that, wow, I am just amazed at what you did. And what would have happened if, if in that moment that uh, Elijah gathers everybody around the altar and the sacrifice, and he, and he says, oh Lord, I've done exactly what I've done today because of what you have said in your word, and so Lord, I ask that you would answer me today, send a tidal wave. Create a tsunami and send this tidal wave and just wash everybody away except for me. Would you just do that right now? What would have happened? I suspect that God would have said to Elijah, "Uh, son, we need to have a little talk. Because now you're doing what they've been doing. You're praying to me without respect for who I am. And you see, your words to me matter. Because through your words to me, I want to send fire down on the altar. But if you don't get your words to me right, they're not going to see my fire. But no, that's not what he did, is it? Because he prayed exactly what the Lord told him to pray. Exactly what the Lord said he would do. Elijah prays and God does it and it's beyond his imagination. Now isn't that the same thing that we should expect from God in our lives. To be able to ask Him and to see His power at work in a way that the people around us say, the Lord, He is God. I mean, who here wants to say a prayer and have the results of that prayer be people saying, If that's all you got when you pray, I'm not sure the Lord is God. I mean, don't you want to be able to pray and see the power of God work in your words to God so that when people see what God does in response to your asking, they say the Lord is God. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 3. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 3. I want you to read with me verse 20 and 21. Now, this comes at the end of a prayer that Paul has penned here about for the Ephesians, encouraging them um, about how he's praying for them that they would know the Lord, see the Lord, know his love. 
And then, he said, and then he's going to finish out the prayer by saying, God is the one who's deserving of all glory. So to God be all the glory. Now, I want you to be reminded of who this God is that deserves all the glory. And notice what he says here. Now to him, so the God who's worthy of all glory, here he is, who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. So our God is the God who can do more than we ask or think according to the power that works in us. What is the power that works within us? Chapter 1 tells us that the power that is in us at work is the very power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Is there anything that God cannot do that we ask of Him? No. God can do everything we might ask. The question is, is God going to do everything we ask of Him? No. We, we are not in command of God. That's why Ecclesiastes chapter 5 says, when you go to see the Lord, you better listen because He's in heaven, you're on earth. He is not doing what you want Him to do. You should listen to Him and respond to who He is and what He says before you say anything. In fact, you should err on the side of saying less than saying more and you better make sure that everything you say reflects who He is and you better make sure that how you are with Him and how you are when you leave His presence is the fear of God. Because God is not going to do everything we ask, even though he is perfectly capable of doing more than we ask and beyond what we can imagine. But if God can do more than we ask or imagine, according to the power that's at work within us, and the power that's at work within us overcame death and sin through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, isn't it, isn't it our expectation in light of who God is and the invitation to pray, isn't it our expectation that we would see the power of God at work in what we say to God? Yes. And so words to God matter. Because if you say words to God that don't follow the the prescriptives here in Scripture, you are not going to see the power of God in your prayer that's at work within you. But if you pray and say words to God that reflect what God is teaching about how we speak to Him, then we should expect to see the power of God unfolding in our lives according to the words we say to God. Now, here's the thing. We've got to make sure that we speak words to God rightly, listening and fearfully. Think about it like this. I wear glasses. Some of you out there wear glasses. If you take your glasses off and you wear glasses, it's very hard to see, right? Like I can make out shapes. But right now, I couldn't tell you from another person in the deal. I know your shapes. I saw you when I had my glasses on so I can tell you who you are. But if I come in here at first, I'd be like really confused about who everybody is because it's hard to see without glasses. I put the glasses on. I can see clearly. Now, if I take my glasses off and put on one of your pair of glasses, guess what? I'm not going to see very good, am I? Because your lenses are fit for you and my lenses are fit for me. I've got to have on the right lens to see clearly. If we want to see the power of God in our words to God, then we need to have the right lens in our approach to our words to God. Let let me give you some examples of 
maybe categories of the wrong lenses. All right, one category of the wrong lens in how we speak words to God is what I feel is more significant than what God has said. See, that's a lens that we can put on, and then because that lens is what we're looking through, we begin to speak to God. And when we have that lens on, instead of the right lens, there are words that are going to come out of our mouth that are not effective and powerful words to God. See, there's a power that's worked within us so that God might do in what we ask more than we could ask or imagine for His glory. And so we've got to make sure we have on the right lens. If we have on the wrong lens, the words that come out are not going to be effective and powerful. So if I have on the lens that what I feel is more significant than what God says, then I'm going to be like this. I'm struggling with some sin in my life. I just keep struggling. I keep being challenged with this. I keep being tempted with it, and I just can't seem to overcome it. It's just really, really difficult. I can't escape it. It just seems to consume my life. Every, at every turn, I seem to be failing in this area of sin, and so I end up praying something like this because of how I feel. Lord, I cannot overcome my sin. And I'm praying that you would overcome it. I feel like I am just controlled by this sin. And there is no remedy for me. And I don't know how to escape it. And if you don't rescue me, I will not be rescued. If you don't save me from this sin, I will not be saved. Lord, I need you to help me. So I'm praying out of what I feel because of what I'm going through in my struggle with sin. But my words to God represent a lens that says what I feel is more significant than what He says. Because He has already said in His Word in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, that if I walk in the Spirit, I will not gratify the desire of the flesh. He has already said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 13, that every temptation that comes to me, he has provided a way of escape. The way of escape is there. I don't have to say provide the way for escape. He's already provided it. It's already there. In Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 14, he says that because of the death of Jesus Christ and his victory over sin, I am no longer a slave to sin. And I now can consider myself an instrument for righteousness instead of a slave to sin. That I no longer have to be in subjection to sin and its control over my life. He has given me victory. You see, he's already said something. And I have failed to listen to what he said. And I'm saying words to him that don't speak of him as he should be spoken. And I should not expect to experience the powerful work of God that is happening in me. That's the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Instead, I should hear what he says about himself. And in my struggle with sin, say to God, you have overcome my sin. You have given me victory. You have made me free. I'm no longer a slave to 
to sin. And I'm desperate to walk in your victory. I must not believe in what you have said. Because if I believed in what you have said, I'd be responding in the fear of God. And would experience sanctification at some level in this area of my life. And so Lord, I thank you that you have set me free. I thank you that you've overcome sin and death. And I thank you that I'm not a slave anymore. And Lord, I want to experience that today. And I pray, Father, you'd work in me in such a way that I would affirm what you have said and give you glory by my sanctification. Does that sound like a prayer of defeat? Or does that sound like a prayer that says, I've just seen God. And he's the one that overcame my sin. And yes, I'm struggling. And yes, there's a day that I'm longing for him to come and do away with this body of sin. But right now, I'm not a slave to sin. I'm not going to act like a slave to sin. I'm not going to be a slave to sin. I'm going to trudge forward in the grace and the mercy of God who promised freedom from sin that I might be an instrument of righteousness. You, you get it? You ever, you ever feel like in your life that you're just alone? I was talking to a guy today in my office. He doesn't go to church here. He's just a friend of mine. And he feels alone. You ever get to where you feel like that? You're facing something. It's hard. It's difficult. And you just feel alone. And you just need God to be with you. And you just don't feel like he's as close as you want him to feel. Right? You ever been there? If you're ever there, maybe you've prayed something like this. Oh God, I need you to be with me. Will you just be with me? Right now, will you just be with me in the way I feel and the way I struggle? I need your presence. I need you to be with me, Lord. I pray as I go into this day that you'd be with me. I pray that as I face this challenge today and I'm going to feel this way, that you would be with me. You ever found yourself praying that prayer? That's one of those times where you put on the lens of what I feel is more significant than what he has said because Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, Jesus says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so I should say in those times I feel alone, Lord, I feel alone. You see, the problem is not telling God what we feel. The problem is telling God what we feel and then telling Him what we want based on what we feel instead of telling God what we want based on what He said. I feel alone, dear God, but You have said You have not left me alone, that You are with me. And so, Lord, I pray that today You would demonstrate Your presence with me so that people that are watching me would see your glory. I don't feel like you're with me, but you said you are. So today, Lord, would your spirit give me power to live in a way that demonstrates to me and everybody watching me that you're as much with me when I feel like you're not with me as when I feel like you're as close as ever. You get it? Our words to God matter so much. We got to have the right lens. You know, that second category of the wrong lens I wanted to kind of share with you tonight is that category of what I believe is more significant than what God has said. What I believe is more significant than what God has said. Have you ever had somebody that's terminally ill that you're very close to or very, very sick? I've seen people and heard people talk about, you know, when somebody was ill and incredibly sick that they just felt like 
this was not right. This illness is not right. It's not what God wants. And they believe that God wants to to, to do something in this person's life to heal them. And they come to that person, they say, there's no way that God wants this for you. This is not God's plan for, for his people. He does not want his people to go through kinds of illness like this. He wants to heal his people and set us apart as different from everybody else by not experiencing sickness and illness like this. I believe that God wants to heal you. And I'm going to pray that God would heal you. And they begin to pray for God's healing. They even say things like, I speak healing over you. I command healing to be on your body and it's like they're talking to God about what God must do because of what they believe and they end up putting on a lens that says what I believe is more significant than what God has said and they forget that Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 said I asked the Lord to heal me three times and God said not going to do it bud my grace is sufficient for you you're going to still struggle with that thorn in the flesh They forget in 1 Timothy chapter 5 that Paul actually tells Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach. Obviously not Baptist, but he said take a little wine for your stomach. Something was wrong with Timothy's stomach, right? Well, you would think, I mean, there was a time when Paul was walking around and people just touched a cloth that he had touched and they're healed. You would think that the apostle Paul could say, hey, next time I'm with you, I'll take care of that one. He didn't. He did not heal Timothy. Why? Throughout all of Scripture in the New Testament, it tells us that God is going to heal His people when Jesus returns. Now, does that mean God's not going to heal before Jesus returns? No. God may, but He may not. And He said so. And what He says is more significant than what I believe. And I may believe that he's going to heal someone, but he has also said he might not heal them until Jesus returns. And we have to make sure that our words to God have on the right lens. You you know how a child learns to speak? Little toddlers, little babies, they start talking along the way, right? How did they learn to say what they say? They're listening, right? They're able to say what they say on the basis of what they've heard. Sometimes I think the reason our tongues don't say to God what they should say is because we've not given God enough time with our ears. Words to God matter. Now what I, want, what I don't want you to do tonight is to leave and pray less. Okay? Because some of you are freaking out right now. How am I ever going to say anything to the Lord? You know, scared to death now. He's totally shocked me into saying nothing, you know. And here's, I don't want you to leave tonight. Pray less. Okay, think about this. If you listen more to the Lord, you will pray better.
if you fear God more. Listen to this. You will pray more because prayer is a demonstration of the fear of God. And a lack of prayer is a demonstration of a lack of fear of God. The goal for tonight is to pray better and to pray more. And in case you're still a little bit scared, then read Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, where Jesus teaches us to pray. And he says, this is how you ought to start. Our Father. Our Father. If our Father was willing to give his Son, don't you think he's willing to issue forth patience towards his children who just haven't heard quite enough to be able to say just the right thing? You see, it's his glory that's at stake, not ours. If we'll come to his Father and we'll have a listening ear and a fearful heart, our loving Father will teach us to talk. And we will see the power of God. And our world will say, their Lord is God.